Good morning, Living Water. It is good to be here today. Um, we had the opportunity to go to Dallas uh, this week for a conference. Took the staff down there. Always love doing this. We've been doing it for years, and uh, it's just nice to get away, unplug from the business that is around us, and to be able to just be filled up with um, some of the teachings that are there. Um, the worship, it's kind of weird because when you show up, you're, you're in, in ministry mode, and so that's, the band starts playing, and they start singing worship, and you're looking around like, what am I supposed to do? Because sometimes we're so busy doing the work of ministry, we forget that we can just unplug and worship God. And so it was really refreshing in that sense. It was good to be there. It was a little nostalgic for me. The church it was in was uh, uh, the previous pastor. His dad wrote a book, and that book was a catalyst that got me into ministry. It's the book that I read when I said, I can't not do this. And it was called Preach It by Stuart Briscoe. Pete Briscoe was the pastor of that church previously, and so I was kind of taking that in like years ago when I read that book. And, and then one of my favorite pastors of all time, back in 95 when I moved here, when I was a cable guy, you know, I'm turning on the radio, listening to some of these preachers, and I, I want to tell you that me and old Dr. Tony Evans made many miles down the road, and I always respected um, his teaching. It was just nice to be able to sit and listen to him um, pour into us. And, and I'll be honest with you, I'll bring him up because um, as I was preparing for today, I said, like, I wonder what old Tony thinks about this subject. And so I looked him up, and I was like, wow, I like his approach. And so full disclosure, just uh, give credit where credit's due. I borrowed from some of Tony Evans' work on this subject. Um, you, you know, if it's bad, it's my part. If it's good, it's Tony's part. I'm okay with that. But uh, today, it's just good to be in God's house and to be able to share um, in the, the, the reading of the Word and the preaching of the Word. So I want to change things up this morning. I want to ask you to stand with me, please. I know you just stood for uh, a while, but stand up one more time because God's Word is worthy of our attention and of our standing. So let's read Romans chapter 4, the first eight verses. Now, I'll kind of explain uh, the middle verses, and then we'll pick up the past or the last six verses in that chapter um, as we begin today. So, chapter 4, verse 1. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have had something to boast about, but that was not God's way. For the scripture tells us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous, righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift but something that they earn. Uh, but people are counted as righteous not because of their work but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. David also spoke of this when he described the happiness of those who are declared righteous without working for it. He quotes Psalm 32, Oh, the joy, oh, what joy for those whose disobedience is forgiven, whose sins are put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin. Another translation says, Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. He then begins to talk about Abraham and how Abraham was counted as righteous way before the law ever existed. That is, by faith, that Abraham was declared righteous. And then verse 20 of chapter 4 says, Abraham never wavered in believing God's promise. In fact, his faith grew stronger. And in this, he brought glory to God. He was fully convinced that God is able to do whatever he promises. And because of Abraham's faith, God counted him as righteous. And when God counted him as righteous, it wasn't just for Abraham's benefit. It was recorded for our benefit too, assuring us that God will also count us as righteous if we believe in him, the one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was handed over to die because of our sins, and he was raised to life to make us right with God. Blessed 
are those whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word today. We ask that in this moment right now, we could eliminate the distractions in our mind and we could just tune in to what you might want to share and reveal to us today. Give us hearts that are open to receive your truth. Give us ears that are ready to hear. And Lord, at the end of it, we just ask that you would be honored and you would be glorified. And we ask it humbly in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and be seated. Thank you for uh, standing with me as we read God's word. Um, we've been in a series called Hashtag Blessed, and we are just looking at a little of the ways that we are blessed by God. These are not things that you can see or things you can go to a, a document and, and read, except for God's Word, obviously, uh, but ways that we are blessed through the gospel of Jesus Christ. The title of the message this morning is, I Am Forgiven. And, and I want to share with you in a moment what I believe is one of the most beautiful, glorious, and just awesome words uh, in the Christian faith. But before I share that, I, I got a little rebuke for you. We were in that church, 3,000 people up there preaching, uh, or in there, listening to the preaching. And these guys were getting up there preaching, and I'm in the back nosebleed section, and I'm listening to these guys just share God's word. And some of them were awesome, some of them were not so awesome, but they were bringing the word of God. And as they were preaching, they were saying things that were just hitting nerves. And one by one, I hear people go, mm, preach it. Come on. That's right. Woo, yeah, glory, standing up, clapping. And I was like, my head was doing this because everybody was just really getting into it. And I turned to my staff and I said, I'm seriously disappointed in you guys. <laughs> and I would say the same thing. Like, we're in church, right? God is awesome and worthy to be praised. So when we're reading from his word, when we're saying something, we're like, woo, that's good stuff. It's okay to say, mm, that's good. Amen. amen. One guy said, I don't need your amens. I brought enough for my own self, you know. But the reality is, is God's word is good, and we are indeed blessed because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we're just looking today at one of the most beautiful words, I believe, in all of Christendom, and it is the word justification. Now, the word justification has been said, um, I've heard it years ago, someone said, it's just as if I have never sinned. And I like that. Justification, just as if I have never sinned. Now, when you think about sin... We need to know that God doesn't look at sin the way we look at sin, all right? Because in our humanity, we're really good at putting like categories and levels of good and bad on sin. For instance, you might be in a restaurant and make up a story about it being someone's birthday when it's not in fact their birthday so that you could get people to sing happy birthday to them and bring them some free ice cream. I just bring that up hypothetically, not that it happened on our trip um, in Dallas, but we look at that and we go, not a big deal, just a small fun thing. And then we go to the other extreme. We say murder. Oh, that's really, really bad. So we have all these different levels of seriousness of sin. And we do that, but it's important for us to understand that God doesn't look at sin the way we look at sin. See, God abhors sin. He hates it. It's offensive to him. If it were like a bag of trash, it would be a nasty, funky, smelly bag of, bag of trash. And his nostrils would be like, this is just Nasty. God hates sin. And so it's important for us when we consider the subject of sin to look at it with the same standards that God looks at it. And I bring that up because justification is more beautiful when you realize how big of a problem we have. And so the word justification then begins to answer the question, so what do we do to be made right with God? Now Job, in Job chapter 9, verse 2, the earliest books written, Job actually says that. 
Now, I'll read it to you. He says, but how can a person be declared innocent in God's sight? How can a person be made right or justified before God? He says, if someone wanted to take God to court, would it be possible to answer him even one in a thousand times? For, for God is so wise and so mighty, who has ever challenged him successfully? So this question, what must I do to be made right with God, is a very important question that needs to be answered. And it's a big problem that needs to be solved. And the good news is it is solved in the doctrine of justification. So how can a man, the sinful, be made right with God? And so Dr. Evans threw this out. I thought it was very good. Is like God has three options at this point. Number one, option one, he says, all right, I'm holy and all of humanity is not. And so because they're not holy and I am, I can condemn them. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. So option one is he could just condemn everybody because they're not holy. They're not righteous. Now, God could do that because he's sovereign, but that's a big problem for you and me. Amen? That's not good news. We talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ being the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's not good news if option one is in play where he says, I'll just annihilate or condemn everyone because they're sinners. That's not good. Puts us out. The second option God could do is God could say, you know what, maybe the standard's too high. Maybe it's just too difficult for them to reach this level of perfection and righteousness that they need to be made right with me. And so here's what I'll do. I'll lower the standard. And what we believe is that God is a perfect, righteous God, right? And so option number two, if God were to do that and to lower his standard, then he's less than perfect. And that's a problem for God. So option one, he condemns us. Option two is he becomes lesser of who he is, and he's no longer a perfect God because he's lowered his standard of righteousness. The third option is the good news. And the third option is what does he do? How does he make man right with him? And that is he changes the sinner. He changes them. And that is good news for you and for me today. Amen. Well, how does he change us? This is the doctrine of justification. And so justification is um, a legal term, a forensic term. And I like the way um, Albert Barnes put it. He says, justification is the declared purpose of God to regard and treat those sinners who believe in Jesus Christ as if they had not sinned on the ground of the merits of the Savior. It is not mere pardon. Pardon is free forgiveness of past offenses. It has reference to those sins as forgiven and blotted out. Justification has respect to the law and to God's future dealings with the sinner. It is an act by which God determines to treat him hereafter as righteous as if he had not sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. The basis for this is the merit of the Lord Jesus Christ. Merit that we can plead as if it were our own. He has taken our place and died in our stead. He has met the descending stroke of justice, which would have fallen on our own heads if he had not interposed justification. Just as if we've never sinned. To be declared righteous. To make a, a verdict, right? To say not guilty. I love those words, not guilty, right? I said, right? Preach it. Oh, let's go, preacher. Amen. So here's the thing. Justification is the exact opposite of condemnation. And that's key. So how are we made right with God? How can a man stand justified before God? The opposite of 
condemnation, how can we be declared innocent or not guilty through justification? Well, the thing we need to realize is it's not something that we can do in our own merit and favor. Romans 3 makes that pretty clear. He says, no one is righteous. You know what that means? No one. Not one person on the earth is righteous. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. And he goes on to build the case that the only way we can be saved, Christ took our punishment, and the only way to be saved is by faith in what Jesus did. And when we place our faith in the gospel, then we are declared righteous. So he says, it's something that you can't do. There's just, you don't have enough righteousness. On your best day, you don't have enough righteousness to be declared justified before God. And so how does this look? How do we go from being this sinner that is changed to be able to be reconciled to God? Um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to turn over there, this is a very um, key verse. Uh, I told the first service, you know, sometimes we have our, our, our electronic Bibles with us at church, and I'm okay with that. From the preacher's perspective, sometimes we worry that you're playing Angry Birds or something. I'm just going to be honest, you know. And I was like, what would be cool is, you know, I love the sound of the page turning. What would be cool is if you're scrolling through your electronic device or turning, you'd hear that familiar sound. Oh, I love that sound. God's word's precious, amen? So we should open the word of God. We should turn the pages of the word of God because there's some beautiful truths that are revealed to us in his word. And so, as I said, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and we see how this justification takes place. Listen to this in verse 21. It says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. Let me say that again because I don't want us to miss this. It's a, another a theological word called imputation, and it just means credited, okay? So he says, For God made Christ... Who never sinned. How many know Jesus was perfect? He never sinned. He lived a perfect life. So God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. There was a credit to Christ's account, and it was our sin. God says, you know, I'm going to take the sins of all humanity, and I'm going to put those on my son, Jesus. That's what that means. For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin. So that, here's the purpose, so that another exchange could take place. We, those who place faith in Christ, could be made right with God. That is justified through Christ. So something very powerful happens in this justification or imputation. There's an exchange that takes place where God takes the sins of all of humanity that he can't just brush over, ignore, and wish it away or pardon even. It has to be dealt with. And he says, all right, we're going to make a trade. Jesus, in your perfection and your holiness, I'm going to put the sins of all of humanity on you so that they can have your righteousness. That's good news for you and me. So Colossians 2 tells us a little more how this happens. It says that he canceled the charges that were against us. He took them away and he nailed them to the cross. We understand that to be the gospel of Jesus. When he was nailed to the cross, my sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus. He canceled the charges that were against us and he nailed them to the cross. That is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what justification is. It's like this... This gift that you just keep unwrapping, there's another box in it, another box, and there's so many ahas in this idea. That's why I said it's one of the most beautiful, magnificent, glorious words in all Christendom is this idea of justification, 
How can a man be made right with God? It's through justification. So think of it like a ledger. You know, your ledger where you got your debits and your credits. And what we know is all of humanity is in some serious debt when it comes to sin. Agreed? All of us have sinned. And so if you look at your ledger of life and in the debit department, you're like, dude, some of you got a lot in there. I just want to talk to you about that for a minute. But, I mean, you get this ledger and we have this debt. And if you consider it for a moment, we, we, we all have this debt of sin. And on the other side, on the credit department, like, we need righteousness. But here's the thing. God demands perfection as it relates to righteousness. And there's not one of us that have enough of it. Now, some of you are some really good people, and you do some really good things. And you're like, man, I go to church, I help the poor, I've done some nice things, serving in my community. All those are righteous acts, but let me just tell you, they're not enough. God demands perfection. He demands absolute righteousness, and we are insufficient in those funds. Amen? And so we've got a problem. We're like, okay, I need need to come up with some righteousness. Let me just tell you what you can't do. You can't live 100 lifetimes Take on extra jobs, bring in some extra side income, if you will, when it comes to righteousness, and somehow come up with enough to be enough for what God has demanded in absolute perfection. It'll never in a million years happen. So we need to know that, right? There's no other name given under heaven by which men may be saved. There's no other way. And so you can't do it in your own works. It's impossible to obtain it on your own. Therefore, we rely on what God has done through the gospel to be made right with him, to take care of that debit department and also the credit of righteousness that we so desperately need. Right? And so what he doesn't do is he doesn't just pardon the sin. He has to deal with it. And so he has to take away that sin. Or it needs to be paid for. And the beauty is Jesus says, hey, I'll pay that for him. Because in my perfection, in my holiness, and my obedience... I'm the only one that's the worthy offering or the worthy sacrifice for the sins of the whole world. And so in justification, the sins that are stacked up against you and me are taken away. They're blotted out. They're nailed to the cross. That's good news. But there's still this insufficient funds in the area of righteousness. And you're like, hey, I need righteousness. If I'm going to stand before a holy God, how am I reconciled to God? I need righteousness. And you're like, I'm going to go borrow from the pastor. Let me just tell you, the pastor ain't got enough in his account. Well, I need to borrow some righteousness from grandma. She ain't got enough. I'm going to borrow some from, you know, my sister or from whatever. Nobody has enough. And that's why we come to Jesus, the only perfect one. I need to apply his righteousness on my account. Are you following me? So this beautiful exchange happens in justification that God exchanges my sin and gives it to Jesus and he takes the righteousness of Jesus and he gives it to me. That is justification. Now here's the thing. When God looks at the ledger of our lives, he's not looking at you. Sometimes I think we hope that he does. Maybe Jesus will look at me. God will look at me and he'll say, man, you're doing a good job. You're hitting it out of the park. But the reality is, is we already determined there's not enough righteousness to, to impress him to meet that demand of absolute perfection. And so when God looks at the ledger of our life, you know, the debit and credit, you know what he sees? Jesus. When God looks at the ledger, he doesn't see your sins and your righteousness, but he sees the righteousness of Christ Jesus. Let me say that again because I don't think some of you tracked with me, right? So when he looks at the ledger of your life, he doesn't see your sin. He sees what Christ did for those sins. 
He doesn't see your righteousness because it ain't good enough. He sees the righteousness of his son. And my friends, that's powerful. So he can declare, and that's a key word, declare, too, by the way. It doesn't mean he's making them justified. He's just making a statement, announcing a verdict. They are already righteous when they place their faith in Jesus, and therefore I declare that they are not guilty. Blessed is the man whose transgressions are forgiven, whose charges are not held against him. So the question then becomes is, has he credited righteousness to your account? Are you justified? How do you know that? Now, I'm not a big Twitter fan, but I know that when you look at Twitter and you see a little blue check mark, that means it's verified that they're real, they're legit, right? So if you open up Twitter tomorrow and you see John Wayne, you see a blue check mark, you're like, mm, I don't know that that's right. Wouldn't it be cool? As followers of Christ, if we said, you know what? I placed my faith in the gospel, and at that moment, God says, boom, verified, and a poop, a gold star just floated above your head everywhere you went. Well, that'd be cool. Look in the mirror. Yep, still justified. That's awesome. People look at you and go, that guy's strange, but oh, there's a gold star. He's verified. He's, she's justified. That'd be awesome, wouldn't it? <laughs> we may not be able to see it like that, but there is a way to see and a way to know that we've been justified. There is some evidence that validates and verifies that we are his and that we are justified. James points it out in James chapter 2. He says, what good is it? Dear brothers and sisters, if you say that you have faith, that is, hey, I've placed my faith in the gospel and I believe that he's forgiven me of my sins and I believe that I stand before him declared righteous because of what Jesus has done. He's like, what good is it if you say you have faith but you don't show it by your actions? Can that kind of faith save anyone? He goes on to say, so you see, faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. It is dead and useless. And what he's not saying is that faith has to have the works in order to be faith. He said, no, 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 you're saved by grace through faith. But when you're saved by grace through faith, it produces good fruit. And so when other people look at you and me, they don't see the gold star hovering over us, but they see the works they see the good deeds, they're not going, that looks like a believer to me. Their actions verify to me that they are redeemed and they are justified before God. There is a way to know, and I believe that the evidence is the fruit that he develops in our lives. Amen? Another thing that's always encouraging to me, because I've doubted for years, I've struggled with this, like, hey, God, are we still good? I mean, I know what your word says, and on the surface, I believe it, but are we, st- I know what I thought yesterday. Come on, let's just be honest. God knows anyways, right? I know what I did. I know what I said. God, it was such a boneheaded move. Shouldn't have done that. Are we still good? And I've wrestled with that. But I am encouraged when I look back and go, you know what? I remember the Shane that moved here in 1995 and how God began to work in my life. And I can assure you that that Shane no longer exists. Oh, I'm here in the body. Even better looking, I think, personally. My wife said amen. So that's verified, y'all. Blue check mark, baby. Thank you. I'm not the same. And my wife would admit that, I mean, golly, God's grown me in so many different ways. It's this thing we call sanctification, just growing in our faith. And to me, that's another beautiful evidence that, you know what? I've been justified. I've been forgiven. I've been made new. I've been redeemed, and he's working on me. 
I love to be able to look back and see his work in our lives. And, and, and so how can we know that we've been justified? Just look. Just ask. All right, God, how can I know? How can I demonstrate it? Well, James says we demonstrate it by our faith, not to get it, but as a proof or verification that it's there already. So this is my favorite part. What's the results? What is the results of justification in the life of the believer? Go to chapter 5 of Romans, the first two verses. Romans chapter 5. Paul starts with the word therefore, and because it's therefore, we need to go, what, what, what's, what's preceding this verse that we're about to read? And in that, he's talking about the problem with sin, that all of us are sin and falling short of the glory of God. There's no one righteous, no, not one. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. He goes on to talk about how Christ took our punishment unto him and then how now we can be made right with God. To answer Job's question, Job 9.2, is like, how can a man be justified before God? He says, hey, through faith in Jesus Christ, by believing in the gospel of Jesus. And so building on that, he says, therefore... Since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Did you catch it? Because we are justified, we have peace. Peace is an absence of conflict. And when you consider it, we were at war with God. We were enemies with God before the gospel, right? Holy God, sinful man, and through justification by placing faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, he says he's now brought us peace. We're at rest. We're no longer in conflict with a holy God. That's good news. You know what else it does? Peace that goes beyond that. Just that tranquil, calm, to know that he gives us this. What do we pray about? God, that you give them the peace that passes all human understanding. We were talking this week um, in a ride down there about a, a time years ago when there was a tragic accident, loss of life, and the husband uh, was there in the hospital, and, and I watched him go to work ministering to the girl that was responsible for the wreck. I was blown away because I was like, dude, this, this guy's on a whole other level. And he was ministering to her, encouraging her. Hey, it's not your fault, baby. My, my wife was a Christian, and we believed that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord, and he just was ministering. I thought, wow, how powerful was that? And some of us would start saying, I think there's something wrong. They're not grieving. They're not, they're not. And I'm like, wait, time out. Don't we ask God to give someone peace that passes all human understanding? And in that moment, we're witnessing it. We should be saying, God, you're so awesome. Amen? So when we're justified, he brings us peace. Look at secondly, it says, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege. So let, me, let me just tell you what that means. We have access. Because we've been justified in our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where you now stand. That's beautiful as well. Through justification, we're put in right standing with God, and he's given us access to God. He said you can come boldly before the throne of grace now because of the gospel. That's access, and that's cool. Lastly, notice he says, as we can confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Look forward. Look forward. What do you do when you're looking forward to something? There's a word for that. It's called hope. And he says that we can confidently 
and joyfully look forward to sharing God's word. That's to look forward to something with confidence and with joy. Through justification, he gives us hope as well. And not just hope when this life is over, but hope in this life. To know in this world you're going to have some troubles, but take heart, he's overcome the world, and I belong to him, and you know what? He's got this. I love hope. And he says he gives that to us, one of the benefits of justification. So I don't know, you see what I'm saying? It's a beautiful word. It's just that you just keep unpacking it. It's a powerful, precious word. And we're talking about how we're blessed because of what he's done. We truly are blessed in sanctification, excuse me, in justification. That is really, really encouraging to me. So confession, I don't like jury duty. Thank you. There was your cue, and he did not disappoint. All right, so you get the letter in the mail. You've been summoned. I'm like, ah, got things to do. I ain't got time for this. I don't want to do it, right? And occasionally you'll call the number before the day of, and I'm like, hey, it's been whatever, and you don't have to go. Thank you. I got things to do. One time in all my years, I've been summoned to the courtroom. Oh, they got to do the jury pool, right? I don't want to be there. Are they going to kick me out? Are they going to keep me? What can I say to get out? Hmm. So what do you believe about capital punishment? It's like, kill them all, let God sort them out. That's my opinion. You're dismissed. No, I didn't go that way. It would have been funny, but um, what happened for me was they said, hey, jurors, one through whatever, you can go home. See ya. And we went home. Every other time, though, when I get one of those summons, I mean, it's interesting that, you know, when you get a summons, it's like, hey, there is a court date that's been put on the docket. They're going to have a trial. And they put it on the docket, and it's coming, and we need to assemble a jury, right? And so they do all that work and a court date that's coming. And most of the time, all of the times in my life, every time I've never yet sat on a jury trial. Oh, it's not with. Here we go. Yeah. No, I've, I've never sat on a jury trial. It's because I'd call and they'd say, hey, it was settled out of court. Settled out of court. I thought, that's cool. Didn't even go to trial. Somewhere behind some doors in the judge's chambers, a deal was made. And a verdict was rendered that was out of the view of the public. Settled out of court. You know what I think about? The Bible says that at the end of the age, there will be a great courtroom. And there will be a righteous and holy judge that will sit on his celestial throne. And there are two verdicts that will be given at that courtroom, and it's the great white throne judgment. It is either guilty or not guilty. But for those of us who've placed our faith in Jesus, who have been justified, it's already been settled out of court. He says, you know what? Any man who's in me is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Romans 8.1 says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We done settled that out of court. So at the end of the age, here's the beautiful thing about this. This is like, for me, listen to what John Stott says. Justification is a legal or forensic term belonging to the law courts. Its opposite is condemnation. Both are the pronouncements of a judge. In the Christian context, they are the alternative eschatological verdicts which God the judge may pass on judgment day, future So when God justifies sinners today, that is when you place your faith in him, and he says, justified. When he does that today, he anticipates his own final judgment in the future by bringing into the present what belongs properly to the last day. 
the declaration that those who have placed faith in Christ are justified. This is though God's saying, hey, I already know the court date's been set, but we've already settled out of court. And for those who are in Christ, there's no condemnation. Now, there will be a trial, not to panic you guys. It's called the great white throne, not the great white throne, it's called the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ. And as Christians, we'll be there. And you know what will be tried? Our works. What we did in this life. You know what the result will be? Not guilty, not guilty. What will be the results is the, the loss of rewards. And he says, you, though, is one narrowly escaping the flames. You'll be saved. But I love this picture for those. The problem is sin. The problem is how does a sinful man be reconciled to a holy God is answered in justification. And those who place their faith in Christ can have the confidence and the hope that at the end of the age, when God sits on his royal throne as a perfect judge, to deal with sin. He says, hey, the good news today is I'm giving you the opportunity to settle out of court. I'm giving you the opportunity to take care of it today where you don't have to be there, right? And whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. We're blessed. And we've been saying this all years. Like, when you truly understand who Jesus is and what he accomplished, what he did, And what he taught us, the truth that he revealed to us, it has a significant impact on our lives. And the ramifications of that is if, if he is who he said he is, and if he did everything the scripture tells us that he did, and if what he told us was the truth, what is the impact of my life? It means that we are hooked up, brothers and sisters. We are hashtag blessed. Now, I was thinking a moment ago about sometimes the old guilt creeps in, and I've done that. I know I'm forgiven. But then time goes on, and I start kind of revisiting the trial or revisiting the evidence that's stacked up against me, and I'm thinking, hmm, kind of feeling guilty today. The encouragement to me is to know that God's already made a declaration about that. God has already rendered his verdict, and his verdict is, Shane, not because of you, not because of your goodness or, or your ability to walk a straight line, but because of my son. When I look at you right now, I see righteousness. I'm like, who, me? Really? Yeah, I see righteousness because I'm not looking at you, kid. I'm looking at my son. So we can have hope. We can have confidence. Now, we're still going to deal with sin, right? We're still going to deal with the old flesh and wrestle with some of the things that we wrestle with. And, and that's what I love about 1 John 1, 9. It says, when we sin, it's like, if we confess those sins to him, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from unrighteousness. So the question then is, has his righteousness been credited to your account and the ledger of life? When you stand before him, do you stand before him as someone who has said, you know what, hey, I want to settle out of court. I'm going to place my faith in Jesus because I've looked at my ledger and it's lacking. There's some serious insufficient funds there and I'm asking Jesus to do only what Jesus can do and save me from the penalty of my sins. Would you appropriate what he did 2,000 years ago to my account as well? My friends, that's the good news and that's why you hear us say all the time, the most important thing you can do is to place your faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ because when you do, It has significant impact. You may not see it. You may not feel it. But scripture reveals 
The truth is solid. It reveals that we are declared not guilty when we place our faith in Jesus. My friends, that's good news. We are blessed. So have you placed your faith in the gospel? Believers, do you really, really know just how blessed you are? Do you know that you're at peace with God? Do you know that you have access to God, that when you pray, you can pray in the name of Jesus? And it ain't like, like I, everybody else belongs there but not me. I mean, I know me, and I don't belong there. He said, no, 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 come on in, come on in. Because my son's bringing you in. Amen? You have access, and you have hope. Hope in this life and hope for the future. What a beautiful, beautiful message. Hopefully, you're encouraged today. Hopefully, you've been just built upon your faith a little bit more today. You look at that, you know what? I think I'm agreeing with Shane. That is a beautiful word. Whew, it's got some serious implications in my life. And all we say is, to God be the glory. I had this song just on repeat in my brain for the last three days, and it's, oh, what a Savior. Isn't he wonderful? Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. And if Christ has not been raised, right? Our faith is useless, but he has been raised. That's not in the song. That's just a freebie. Bow down before him, for he is Lord of all. Sing hallelujah. Christ is risen. Father, I thank you so much for the good news of the gospel. I believe that we could spend the rest of our time on this earth unpacking just what that means for us that place our faith in you. And I'll be honest, sometimes I think we are illiterate, scripturally speaking. We don't understand just how blessed we are. And we can tend to take it for granted. We can tend to wallow around in guilt. We can tend to just kind of find many different ways of making things happen. And we realize that we have access through the gospel. So God, thank you that you made a way, as Job asked many, many years ago, how can a man be made right with God? Lord, that you've made a way for us to be right with you through the gospel, through justification, through that great exchange of our sins to Jesus and his righteousness to us. And we can stand in confidence today if we've placed our faith in you and say, I am forgiven. God, thank you. Thank you for that news and for that hope that we share. God, I pray there would be anyone here today that's not placed their faith in you, that today would be the day that they look at the ledger of their own life and they see it seriously lacking the insufficient funds in their own life and they come to you recognizing that you have made a deal with them, that you're willing to settle before the end of the age and, and they just place their faith in you and will be forgiven of all those sins and his, credit, his righteousness will be credited to them as well. God, I pray that today would be the day that they would take that step of faith and trust you for salvation. For the rest of us, Father, that have been walking with you, Lord, would you just encourage us? Would you help us to truly understand was it the depth, the width, the height of your love for us? That, that, that we truly understand just how blessed we are because of the gospel. And that we not take it for granted, but Lord, we, we, we give it feet and action. That we are like that blue check mark or that gold star going around just living our lives in a way that demonstrates that we belong to you. And when we mess up, and we will mess up, God, I thank you for your mercy that's new every morning. I thank you for your grace that never fails. And I thank you that, Lord, I didn't work to obtain it in the first place and it's not a working to keep it either that verdict has already been made justified would you let us live our lives now worthy of that verdict worthy of that not guilty 
hearing you say that in our own lives, would you help us to live a life worthy of the calling that we've been called to? Lord, and at the end of the day, it's all for your glory. And we say, God, you're so awesome. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.